We learned last week we can have joy no matter where we are physically or where we are in our life. As we've studied the book of Philippians for one week, we're going to continue it today. If you remember last week when we talked about joy, we learned that there is joy in serving with other people and having a partner in service to God. When we pray for others, when we serve alongside others, when we are together, there is joy. That's what Paul began his letter rejoicing that the Philippians were partners with him in the gospel. And they had been from the very beginning when he met them in Philippi. And because of that partnership, they had a mutual joy and friendship. And Paul says there's especially joy when we know that what God has started in our lives, he will complete. And so last week we learned about that kind of joy. Today, there's a couple of other ways that we can have joy no matter where we are in our life. Uh, look at this uh, cartoon or illustration. It says, happiness is just a matter of perspective. It's your choice how to look at the world. Uh, I don't know if I would say that 100%. I think there's more to happiness than just a perspective. But isn't it true that as this picture illustrates, uh, these two guys are going in the same direction. They're on the same bus or train and one is miserable because he's looking at the gray, dark rocks, while the other one is happy as he looks at the beautiful scenery of sunshine and meadows and wildflowers and, and birds. So they've made a choice. One has chosen to look at the darkness, and the other has chosen to look at the sunshine. One is miserable, and one is happy. The only difference? Their perspective. Their circumstances aren't different. Their journey's not different. The, the, even vehicle that they're in is not different. The only difference is how they look at what they're looking at. And that's often true. Our culture even knows that. Don't we have phrases like, every cloud has a silver lining? It's a reminder to us that even in dark times, there are things that give us hope and we can be happy about. Always on the sunny side of life or always look at uh, what is sunshine and what is happiness. We, we have these uh, cultural references and songs and slogans to remind us that when we look at life, we can always find something good. There's always something to be thankful for. There's always something to find joy even in difficult circumstances. And this is just our culture. Human nature has figured this out. Because it is ingrained in us. And then when you add the truth of Scripture and add the fact that we can look at life from God's perspective, then we can have true, supernatural, God-given joy when we look at things from God's perspective. So that's the first principle this morning in the book of Philippians is to find joy as we look at life from God's perspective. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Remember, Paul is in prison. He's under house arrest in Rome, awaiting trial. He has lost his freedom. 
He's lost his ability to go and plant churches. He's lost his ability to go and visit the churches that he planted. He's lost his ability to wander the Roman Empire and travel it without hindrance. And he's facing trial, so he may be found guilty. He may lose his life. So his present circumstances are grim, and his future prospects are also quite possibly deadly. Yet, he is in this prison, and he is rejoicing because the gospel is being advanced around him and through him, and that is what gives him joy. Think about it. He's saying, look, right now, because I am here, I can talk to guards who are with me 24 hours a day. Uh, Paul would not have typically met these Roman guards. They would have been guarding things. Okay, They've been guarding people, guarding buildings, guarding prisons. And Paul wasn't in the prisons or the places where these guards were guarding. But now he is. So now he's imprisoned, but now there's a guy. they got to talk about something. And Paul's been sharing the gospel, not just with one guard, but every guard that has been by his side in his imprisonment. And they have then talked to others. And Paul says, now the gospel has spread through the whole imperial guard. They all know why I'm here. I'm here because of Christ. And he's rejoicing. This is happening because I'm here. See, Paul saw it from God's perspective. From God's perspective, people were hearing the gospel and were being saved. And so Paul rejoiced. From the human perspective, Paul had lost his freedom and was in prison. But Paul wasn't looking at that. He was looking at the opportunity that he had. That he never would have had if he had not been in prison. And so when we look at life, sometimes it is like Paul. We can see what's happening right now. I mean, Paul knew he was in prison, and he knew that gave him an opportunity. Sometimes when we look at our life, we don't see what God is doing. We don't see the opportunity. We don't see his work until years later. It's only in hindsight that we see why God allowed problems, allowed trials in our life. And I think of Joseph. Joseph, when he was thrown into the pit by his brothers to be left to die, if you told him, hey, Joseph, just look at the sunny side of life. Just, just rejoice and look at it from a different perspective. Maybe he could have. Maybe he could say, at least it's cool down here. I'm out of the sun. You know, I don't know what you could have done in that moment. But human nature, and typically he's not rejoicing that he's in a pit and that he's going to die. When he was sold into slavery, now he's lost all of his freedom. He's a slave. Was he rejoicing that he was a slave. Hey, Joseph, look on the sunny side of life. At least you're not in the pit anymore. You know, I don't know. And when he was in prison, falsely accused. And then left there for years. And then he had a chance to get out. But then he was forgotten. In those times of in the pit, in Potiphar's house in slavery, in the prison, did he see what God was doing? No, he couldn't see what God was doing. At the end of his life, he could look back, and then, yes, he could see what God was doing. At the end of his life, and when his father had died, his brothers came to him, and the, his brothers were worried because his brothers thought now he was going to get revenge, now that dad was dead. But Joseph said to his brothers, brothers, look, you meant it for evil. Yeah, I would say that. 
They wanted him dead. They tried to kill him. But he said God meant it for good. The salvation of many people. You see, because Joseph ended up in Egypt, he became second in command. There was a severe famine and he was able to provide food for his family. And his family was able to come down to Egypt, a small family of about 70 people who later grew into a nation of millions. That's all because of what happened to Joseph. If Joseph had not been in Egypt, he wouldn't have risen to second in command. It's quite likely his whole family would have starved to death. But Joseph couldn't see that happening in the moment. But in hindsight, he could see. And isn't that true in your life? Sometimes when you look at your life and you look back, you say, now I understand. God brought this person into my life. He allowed this tragedy to happen. And now I see how my life changed at that moment. And now how it's better and how God was using that to do great things. Well, how can you have the perspective of God in the moment when you're like Joseph and you can't see it. He couldn't see it in the pit or in the prison or in slavery. Then you have to remember what we learned from the book of Habakkuk because Habakkuk was in that situation where he was in a time when his nation was falling apart, when he saw evil abounding and the righteous suffering and remember, he was calling out to God, how long, God, are you going to allow this to happen? How long do I have to wait before you come and you do something about this country and you do something about this idolatry? How long is it going to be, Lord? And God answered him, well, you're asking for me to bring judgment. You're asking me to restore the righteous, but that's not going to happen. What's going to happen is a more wicked nation is going to come and they're going to destroy your nation. And remember from what we learned from Habakkuk, he had to see things with the eyes of faith. He couldn't look at what was happening in his presence and all around him. He had to see things with faith, knowing these things about God. That God is in control, God is always at work, and God has a perfect plan. When you have those rock foundations of faith, you can be Habakkuk in a world that's falling apart and still have joy because you know God has a plan and it's going to work out for God's glory and for your personal best. Joseph could look with the eyes of faith even in that pit or in the prison or in slavery and know that God was still in control of his life, God still had a plan for his life, and that God was working even though he couldn't see it. It was a little bit easier for Paul. He could see it happening. Joseph had to see it in hindsight. Habakkuk couldn't even see it in hindsight. It was a promise from God for the future. But it doesn't matter whether it's present or past or future. When we see with the eyes of faith, that's seeing with God's perspective, we can know that in our life, at any moment, God is in control of it. God has a plan for it. And God is working out his plan. So whatever you're going through in life, you can rejoice because you're in it for a reason. And it's a marvelous reason, even if you can't see it now. Have that faith. And with that, you can rejoice. We learn another lesson here about rejoicing. 
And that is we can have joy when we celebrate, when we rejoice, cheer the blessings of others. Uh, how many of you know Tom Brady? I don't mean personally. I mean, I would like to know that if you knew him personally. But uh, I mean, he's a household name now because he's been to 10 Super Bowls. He's won seven of them. The two different teams, two different conferences, I don't know. I know even if you don't know anything about football or the NFL, you probably heard his name. I mean, he's married to a supermodel. He's got gazillions of dollars. You know, so a lot of people, because of that, hate him. And they root against him. You know, when the Super Bowl comes on, they just say, I just hope that there's no Tom Brady in it. And if he's in it, then they're rooting against him. They're rooting for the other team. And they're probably even secretly hoping that his marriage falls apart. I mean, he doesn't deserve a supermodel. And they're hoping maybe he goes bankrupt, makes a bad investment, and he doesn't deserve all that money. So it, that is our culture. And that is uh, even really human nature, that we see the success of other people and we get jealous and we get bitter and we envy them. And then we even start to actively root for them to fail, to have hurt. It's sinful, it's evil, but that is human nature and that is our culture. Well, I know you all may not Tom Brady, but how about when a, a friend of yours or a neighbor gets a brand new car? Again, our first response usually is a little bit of jealousy, maybe again a little bit of accusing or I'm wondering, how do they get that money? I know what kind of job they have. How could they afford that? All right? Or, you know, there's not a whole lot of applauding and rejoicing. Or how about if you're a parent and your kid's kind of struggling in school, but you can't stop hearing about your friend whose kid's doing awesome in school. I mean, do you applaud that? Or are you saying, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my kid? Or, you know, why can't you... Your kid do a little bit worse, maybe? You know, I don't know. But isn't that true? That's how we often respond to other people's success. And it's even worse when it comes to churches. Because often in Christianity, when there is a church that's thriving and doing well, there's lots of other churches around it hoping that they don't continue to succeed. Because they're not. And there starts to be jealousy. And there starts to be casting stones where they're doing it the wrong way. They're doing it with the wrong motives. Or this is why they're successful. And this is why they're doing that. And we start to make excuses for why we're not. And so isn't it true in, in Christianity, the last place it should be. There's, there's envy and there's jealousy among churches. And even worse, sometimes a church will have a, a scandal. And secretly there are Christians and Churches in the community that applaud that. Oh, good, now we'll get their members when they leave the church. Or maybe there's a church uh, that's without a pastor for a time or without a youth pastor. And other churches say, oh, good, now's our chance. Now we can get some of their members while they don't have a pastor. And Christians have that attitude and say things like that more than you would think. And it should never be said. I mean, among Christianity, among our churches, we should always be applauding and rejoicing when we see churches thriving, even if it isn't our home church. And even if a home church is struggling, that doesn't mean we don't rejoice when we see God at work in other places. So this is human nature. And human nature is a sinful nature. But it's natural. It happens all the time. When others succeed, there's jealousy, envy, bitterness, and active rooting for destruction and a fall. 
But Paul was not like that. Listen to verse 14. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of a selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice, because I know this will lead to my salvation or his deliverance through your prayers and help me from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. See, Paul rejoiced that others were succeeding. Did you notice not only his friends were succeeding while he was in prison, but even his enemies and his rivals were succeeding. But he was rejoicing. Again, the exact opposite of what is usually natural. No, especially if someone who despises you and hates you is succeeding, that's the last time you expect to, to be applauding and celebrating. But no, Paul says there are people who genuinely love me and love the gospel and they're spreading it. And with that, I rejoice. And he said there are people who are spreading the gospel with wrong motives. They're doing it selfishly. They want to be the big name now. But Paul says, I don't care. He says, I rejoice. He rejoiced. People were succeeding. The gospel was being proclaimed. He wasn't succeeding like he was. Sure, as he already said, this opportunity gave him the time to witness and proclaim the gospel to his guards. But he was slowed down and reaching out to churches and going on his missionary journeys. So in some ways you could say Paul was not succeeding as he had been. And others were succeeding even at his expense. That would make most people depressed or bitter. But not Paul. He rejoiced. I want you to think about this. We are a body. And Paul tells us in a different letter, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Think about your physical body. When your hand is hurting, does the rest of your body just say, oh, that's okay. You know, this side of your body is feeling great. Oh, no problem. This hand is hurting, but it doesn't affect me over here. This hand, that's not true, is it? When a part of your body is hurting, your whole body is hurting. The same is true when you are rejoicing. If your heart is filled with joy and happiness, your feet aren't saying, well, good for you, but I'm miserable and I'm just going to uh, mope and I'm going to be hurt. No, when, when you're filled with joy, your whole body is. So Paul says that's the same with the body of Christ. We're brothers and sisters. We are connected together. We cannot exist as true Christians separated from each other. We have to be together because we are create. I mean, God has put us together. So we're together. So when there's a brother or sister who is hurting, we don't just ignore it. Say, well, that's, well, you're hurting, but I'm doing great. So good luck with that. No, we hurt with them. That's why we pray. That's why we're compassionate. That's why we help. But the same is true when someone is succeeding and thriving. 
our response is to rejoice with them, to applaud what God is doing, to applaud their success, not to try to put them down or be envious of them or hope they fall on their face. We rejoice with them. Think about this. You're just one person. You just have 24 hours a day. You just have one life. You know, no matter how much joy you have in it, it's just one person, one life. Think about if you multiply that by all of the brothers and sisters in Olive Branch and in your friendship group and in this community. Just mathematically, you have a lot more chances to be happy and rejoice when you rejoice when everyone else is rejoicing. Have you ever thought about it that way? Today, my day may not be going my way. Well, there's a friend of mine's having an awesome day. Well, I can rejoice in that. And I bet every single day someone's having a good day. So I can applaud that. So I can have a good day every day. Maybe not me personally, but someone is. Rejoice in it. But I want you to see, and you've already noticed it, if you've been listening carefully or reading the verses carefully, Paul wasn't simply rejoicing because people were succeeding in life. That's a general principle that can be helpful. But Paul was rejoicing because the gospel was spreading. It was being proclaimed. People were being saved. And we can find joy there. I want you to look at the verses again. Paul's imprisonment gave other Christians the boldness to proclaim the gospel. This is in verse 14. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Some preach out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. So Paul says, look, there's plenty of people now who have seen my boldness. And now they have courage. Isn't that true? Often we'll see a leader who does something great that inspires other people to follow in his or her footsteps. That's what's happened here. Paul was fearlessly proclaiming the gospel. Yeah, he's in prison, but he's still fearlessly proclaiming the gospel. And if Paul can do it, we can do it. And so there were more and more people in his absence who were going and proclaiming the gospel. Isn't this true too? I'm sure while Paul was doing it, other people said, well, Paul does it so well, we'll just sit back and let him do it. Well, now that he can't do it, they're stepping up to the plate. Now they're doing it. So Paul is rejoicing that all of these people now are proclaiming the gospel because he's in prison. As we just said, there's others, he says, that were his competition, so to speak. But they're still proclaiming the gospel. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. They proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. So there's another group who says, good, Paul's out of the way. All I've heard is Paul this, Paul that, Paul this. Paul founded this many churches. Paul's been in this many cities. Well, now look at him. He's in prison. So now I'm going to make a name for myself. And now people are going to be talking about Paul. They're going to be talking about whoever. Caius. I don't know. I don't know any Greek or Roman names, okay? So anyway, they're going to be talking about me. And so they are going and proclaiming the gospel, but they're doing it for selfish reasons. They're doing it for fame. They're doing it for recognition. They're even doing it to hurt Paul. So that they can say, well, look at me. I'm doing much more than Paul's doing. So all of the wrong reasons, terrible motivation, sinful motivation. What does Paul say? What does it matter? 
Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice. So again, think about it. His rivals who wish him harm are proclaiming the gospel and Paul is praising the Lord. Because the gospel is being proclaimed. He's even confident here that all of this gospel proclamation is going to lead to his release, his deliverance. Because there's so many Christians praying for him. The kingdom of God is advancing so much. He is confident this will end in his deliverance. See, Paul wasn't concerned about what was happening to him. And that's where we often spend our life. We evaluate everything with this question, what is happening to me? Paul didn't. He asked this question. How is the gospel affected by what is happening to me? And I have to be honest with you, I don't know that I've ever thought about my life in that way. From that perspective. Paul didn't focus on his chains or his imprisonment or his loss of freedom. He didn't care about that. Because the fact that he was, that was happening to him meant that the gospel was being spread more. And more people were rejoicing. So he was excited because of what was happening with the gospel. Again, I, most of us, I assume, because I'm assuming a lot like you, I mean, I usually don't go home at night and, and look for good news about where missionaries have been successful and about how many people have been saved, and that gets me pumped up and excited. I mean, I should do that more. That's what Paul was doing. He was excited and was rejoicing because the gospel was being proclaimed and people were coming to faith in Jesus. I mean, have you ever led anyone to Christ? There's joy in that. Being there at the moment that someone uh, realizes their sin, they pray to God, they receive his gift of salvation. I know this one thing. Jesus says that when someone who was lost is saved, there is rejoicing in heaven. I'm sure the angels in heaven don't rejoice when Tom Brady wins a Super Bowl. I'm sure the angels in heaven aren't rejoicing uh, when you get a promotion at work or when you have a good day or you are six. I mean, the angels aren't rejoicing over those things. They're rejoicing over people who are going to hell that are now going to heaven. That's what they rejoice over. Why don't we do that more? Why, are, why isn't that more of our focus? To find our joy not in happy circumstances or possessions or a nice life or a nice family. Why don't we find joy more in leading people to Christ and rejoicing when we hear of someone saved and having that desire to to share the gospel so that more people are saved. That's the whole thing that motivated Paul, the whole thing that gave him joy in life. I have to admit, I need to be more like Paul in this and have my focus less on myself and more on others and especially in getting others to heaven. That's when the angels rejoice. My last challenge to you this morning as I conclude, as we get ready to pray and sing, don't focus on what God's not doing. Focus on what he is doing. Paul could have sat there and been miserable Saying, well, God hasn't got me out of prison. God hasn't got me to this church. God hasn't got me here. God hasn't done this. And we can do the same thing. 
You can sit all day long saying, well, God hasn't done this. God hasn't given me that. God hasn't opened that door. God has. Well, don't look at that. Look at what he is doing because he's always doing something. He's always doing something in your life, in the lives of people around you. That's what Paul was seeing. He was seeing it happen. He was seeing it happening to these guards. He was seeing it happening in the churches, in the community, in the Roman Empire. He was seeing God at work. And he was focused on that and he was rejoicing and he was excited. So especially on a day when you're feeling down, don't focus on what's going on in your life. Focus on what God is doing all around you and have faith to know that he is doing something in your life, even if it doesn't seem like it or even if you can't see it. And that should make you rejoice as well. Let's go with joy to our Lord. Father, we are thankful this morning that you are a God who is working and a God who's doing great things. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see with the eyes of faith that you are working out your perfect plan and that we would rejoice in that. I pray also, Lord, we would look around us and see where uh, you are working and lives are being saved and churches are thriving and missionaries are, are breaking new ground and you are blessing in our brothers and sisters' lives around us. And I pray, Lord, that we would join in that work, that we would rejoice in what you are doing. And I pray, Lord, that that would give us joy. Lord, just from hearing Paul in these first few verses over the last two weeks, we see that there are so many ways in our life that we can have joy even when our circumstances are not what we would hope for. So I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that that would be uh, where you meet them today and lift up those who are down, encourage those who are hurting, heal those who are suffering, and Lord, fill us all with your joy. As I pray, Jesus, in your name, amen.